Um, Father's Day today, doing something a little bit different uh, for the message, but uh, pray that uh, God will still speak to you through the message. I was looking for um, some sort of icon or a, a graphic for Father's Day, just going through the internet, and I found this one, and I thought, okay, I can relate to a few of those things. Um, I've got most of those tools in my garage, and I reckon given 15 minutes, I could probably find them. Um, over the years, I've had a go a few times at building things uh, with varying degrees of success. A couple of kids' cubby houses, um, the occasional fence, um, the deck at the back of our house. Though so, uh, I reckon if you threw a handful of marbles on the deck, they'd all roll down one corner of it. Um, a few uh, sort of minor disasters as well, putting a tower railing in the kids' bathroom as uh, they were in their teenage years and just seemed to be using more and more towers. I thought, I'll put another railing up and there's this nice section of blank wall. And uh, so I bought the tower railing, put the screws through, then realised the cavity slider door wouldn't work. <laughs> it's all good now. The tower running's very wobbly and the door's got a few holes in it. But uh, perhaps other images could be up there as well. Perhaps it could be... Um, you know, all the technical kind of things, iPods and iPads, or perhaps it could be uh, maybe even a, a lounge and a comfy pillow, or maybe it could be sport equipment or whatever. But uh, I guess it's very stereotypical of uh, what we think of fathers. But the real reason I chose it is because it's about building. It's about building. And I think that's what being a father is about. It's about building into the lives of our children. But it's not just fathers that do that. And yes, it's Father's Day, and yes, that's our focus. But mums certainly build into the lives of children. But it's not just about parenthood either. We build into the lives of our friends. Children can build into the lives of their parents. We can build into the lives of our siblings, our workmates, um, our neighbours, and so as we go through the message this morning, my prayer is that you'll be challenged in the ways that you build into the lives of one another. Our theme has been Speak Life. Phew. If that didn't work, I would be up, uh, well, it'd be difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Without a Without a paddle. And my prayer this morning is that we realise when we're building one of the most important power tools we have in construction, when we're building into relationships, is the power of honour. That we honour one another and we sow into their lives and we build into their lives. And honour is about making sure that what we're doing is best for the other person. That we're not pulling them down. Honour is about talking to the other person, not talking about the other person. Honour is about when we disagree, doing that in a way that still builds them up, not pulls people down. And my prayer this morning is that we can think about honouring one another, building into their lives, speaking words of life and strengthening the relationships that we have with people that we love. 
The verse I want to focus on is this one from Ephesians chapter 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Different translations of the Bible use a different word where we have the word unwholesome. One translation says, do not let any foul or abusive things come out of your mouth. And we could read that and we could think, well, that's not really me. I don't use foul or abusive. I don't swear a lot. I don't verbally abuse someone. I don't yell. I don't put them down. Yep, tick, tick. That's me. I'm fine with that one. But I like the translation that has the word unwholesome better because it has a, uh, a more subtle layer to it. And unwholesome, in the Greek translation, talks about rotten, corrupt, worthless, what is of poor quality or unfit for use. Now, I guess that foul and abusive language that's mentioned in some translations could go to uh, the, those words there, rotten and corrupt. And we might think, no, that's not me. I don't speak that way. But are there times when you speak with someone and really what you're saying perhaps isn't foul, perhaps isn't abusive, but maybe it's just poor quality? Or maybe when you think about it, really it was unfit for use. I want to challenge us this morning to think about whether what we're saying is in some way unwholesome. The English translation or the English dictionary says it's not conducive to health or moral well-being. Are there times that what comes out of our mouth is like that? It's not really fit. Its quality is not so good. It's not conducive to health, moral well-being, emotional well-being, spiritual well-being perhaps. So let's have a think about that. Other things in the verse though. This really stood out to me as well, that we must make sure that what comes out of our mouth is helpful for building others up, not pulling them down. It's that whole theme of that original slide I had. Building, constructing relationships, sowing into people's lives. But it says, according to their needs. We have to be in tune with one another. And know what it is that they need. And our words have to speak into their lives. Not, I have an agenda. I want to have this conversation. I think you should be doing such and such. But if I really want to honour you, then I have to be aware of what it is that you need so that I can speak wholesome words to build you up according to what you need. But it has to benefit those who listen. And that's not necessarily the person you're talking to but the people who might be hearing that conversation as well. So there's our challenge this morning. If we're going to build each other up, to honour each other, we must speak in ways that are wholesome, ways that build each other up for the sake of the person we're talking to and the benefit of those around. There's a couple of old gentlemen who I really admire. They're very wise And I do enjoy hearing them when they speak. I have a very short clip of a conversation they're having. 
It's got a lot of wisdom in it. It only goes for a very short amount of time. Listen carefully and I'm sure you'll appreciate this wisdom as well. You know, they say if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. I'm sorry. Keep going. I don't know where that came from. Go, go ahead. Oh, I think there's a K in Knucklehead. I think there's a K in Knucklehead. If you can't say anything nice, then don't say anything at all. Now, sometimes, as I've mentioned, things that come out of our mouth are unwholesome. And I want to go through fairly briefly and look at eight things that can come from us that aren't helpful, yet they do build things, they build negative things. I was going to talk about these eight things for 15 minutes each, but um, because George will be waiting at 11 o'clock, I thought I'd cut it down a bit. So if you're taking notes, get ready to go. Sarcasm is something that comes out of our mouth. And it may be that um, it's just meant as a, a bit of a joke. Um, could be having a go at someone. But it can be a habit. Perhaps it's, it's not abusive. Perhaps um, it's not foul. But we're just used to doing that kind of thing. It's a bad habit. Um, example, you know, I'm sorry if my vacuuming disturbs your TV watching. I apologise that dinner's late because I had to go shopping and get the groceries first. (laughs) So sometimes there are sarcastic things that we say and they're not wholesome, they're not beneficial. Now sarcasm actually does build something. What it builds is this sense of defeat because sarcasm is about power, me dominating you, me expressing my opinion over yours, me having a go at you. It can be that we don't know how to have the conversation we need to. If there's a problem because I feel I'm doing all the vacuuming, I mean, in our house we, we get over that, we just don't vacuum, it's great. <laughs> I don't vacuum often anyway. <laughs> and I certainly don't mind doing the vacuuming either. But sometimes there are issues that are hidden behind that sarcasm And we are too afraid to deal with it in a sensible way, in an honouring way, in a God-honouring way, in a person-honouring way. There's a Bible verse that says, love must be sincere. And if we're going to build relationships with each other, honour one another, then rather than be sarcastic and deal with issues in that way, we must make sure that our love is sincere. And then if I do have a problem with vacuuming or whatever it might be, I go and have that conversation rather than just have sarcastic digs at someone else. Something else that may be unwholesome that comes from our mouths from time to time is comparisons. Well, your brother certainly doesn't do that. Your sister always gets the good grades. Why can't you? Oh, I was around at so-and-so's place and boy, they keep their house tidy. <laughs> this house thing keeps coming back. It's a bit of a, <laughs> bit of a theme. <laughs> we live comfortably, don't we? <laughs> 
But comparisons where you're comparing one person to the other. And as parents, we would try never to do that. But do we do that inadvertently? Do we do that with our friendships, with our relationships in other ways? Um, Comparison does build something and it builds a sense of hopelessness. What's the point? Why bother? I can never get it right. I'll never be as good as older brother, older sister. I'll never be as good as this person. My house will never look like my neighbour's house, whatever it might be. And the verse that comes to mind is the verse we've heard this morning already with Nikki and Chris's wonderful news. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. If we know that each and every individual who God has created is made in a unique and special way, there is no need for comparison. There is no need to try and make someone something that they are not. To put standards on someone that they can't achieve and remind them when they can't achieve it. Put-downs, another unwholesome thing that can come out of our mouths. Now, there's different levels of put-downs. Some can be little digs. Oh, you can never get that right. Oh, I know where he gets his anger from. So it can be at a level that is meant for humour, but it can be deeper as well. Put-downs can be a real go at one another. And I don't know about you, but I've seen marriage relationships that are very sad where husband and wife are forever putting someone down. And sometimes it's supposed to be funny comments, but it's hurtful. And do you know that where there's this sense of competition, I will put you down, I'll try and get the, uh, the, the better saying over you before you get me, Where there's competition, there can't be nurture. You can't have both in a relationship. You're either competing against one another, trying to get the better of one another, trying to prove you're better or superior to someone else by putting them down, but you can't nurture that person. You can't have competition and nurture. What you create is a very negative atmosphere. Put-downs ultimately create that negativity that sense of worthlessness. We don't want that to be unwholesome and coming out of our mouth. Does what you say to your friends, the people that you love most, your children, your parents, your husband, your wife, your family, are they putting down all the time? Or, as 1 Thessalonians encourages, to encourage each other, to build one another up. Just as, in fact, you are doing. And I pray that that's what's happening in your relationships. That the people you love are people who will encourage you and lift you up and build you up and not have a go at you and not put you down. Scrutiny. An interesting kind of a thing. But I think scrutiny can also be something that's unwholesome that comes out of our mouth. I guess in a workplace you might talk talk about someone micromanaging or... uh, or being a control freak, um, scrutineering, I mean, not scrutineering, that's to do with elections, isn't it? <laughs> but, 
always overseeing someone and watching what they're doing and pointing out the faults and telling them it's not right, it doesn't go that way. It builds something and it builds a lack of confidence or a sense of frustration. So if someone is always being judged, always having someone looking over their shoulder, they just don't have the confidence to do the job on their own because they're wanting to know whether it's right or not. Or else they are feeling it's right and feeling frustrated. Just let me have a go myself. I can do that. And I think we have to be careful in relationships. I'm not talking about accountability. I'm not talking about it as a parent with young children. Safety, you know, the first time they want to chop the carrots in the kitchen. Yes, I'd be looking over their shoulder as well. But making sure that we don't always impose our ways and our ideas and our corrections on people who are having a go, doing the very best they can and trying to, to work uh, things through for themselves. And uh, we have to be very aware that that can cause frustration. There's a verse that says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. And I think if we're watching over the shoulders of those too many times, they feel exasperated and frustrated. But bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. What a great verse. Let's not frustrate our children. Let's not cause them to feel exasperated and, oh, what is the point? But uh, let's encourage them in God. Pride is another thing that uh, we can express that... um, isn't very helpful it's unwholesome and pride can create resentment resentment by pride I mean I'm always right you're always wrong you're always making mistakes but I don't that sense of um, superiority uh, the lack of ability to admit um, an error to ask for forgiveness and um, that sense of uh, uh, there's no point in apologising because I'm not, I'm not uh, wrong. Pride ends in humiliation. And if we're very proud in what we do and the people that we are, then ultimately we'll be humiliated because people around us know it's not true. But rather, if we're humble, then we honour people. And if this message is about the power of honour and honouring one another, then we have to be humble enough to say, look, I made a mistake. I don't think I should have said that or I don't think I should have insisted on this or whatever it might be. Can you forgive me? We can be too quick to react at times, and that can be unwholesome. I have a good friend who tells a story when his, uh, his son was only young, uh, just a toddler. They were teaching him not to go to the cabinet where uh, all the video equipment was, um, all the sound gear and so forth. And it had one of those glass doors that you'd push and it would spring open. And uh, they'd spoken to this little toddler many times and said you're not to do that you can't touch it you know that's mum and dad's special video machines and so forth and uh, one day um, my friend said he saw his son and he was at the door of that that video cupboard 
and he just walked past and a good whack on the bottom. He said, come away from there, you know you're not to, uh, to be there. The boy didn't move. And another whack on the bottom. I said, come away from there. And then he realised he actually had his hand stuck in there and he couldn't get away. <laughs> and all he was trying to do was move away, but his hands were caught in the door. As parents, we've probably all had those sort of moments where um, we respond too quickly. We don't know the full story. We don't understand. Forgive me, Alice, if I've ever done that. I'm sure I have. (laughs) But we can respond too quickly. Sometimes it mightn't be with an action. It might be with a word. Someone that we care for and, and we have a relationship with starts to tell us something and straight away our emotions go from zero to 100 and we make assumptions and we think this is what's happening, this is what it is and we just speak out against what they're saying or cut them off and we don't hear it and we can respond too quickly and that builds this sense of injustice in the other person. It's never fair. They don't understand. They don't listen. There's this wonderful verse in James. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. I think with a culture of honour, with this building honour in somebody else and really caring for them, our responses should be to question the other person. Not, not to question in the terms of, do you really think so? Why would you say that? But I want to find out more about what you're thinking. I want to understand you. Can you please explain a little bit more? I don't get that. And I think that's a really God-honouring and people-honouring response rather than jumping in and just making these assumptions. Take time. Perhaps I disagree with everything I'm hearing, but I want to understand it before I respond. Be slow to speak. Sorry, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. A few to go. I'm watching the time. George is ready to take people walking very soon. He's saying, no, we're okay. Not now. Not now. And as a dad, I know I've been guilty of this and perhaps still am. That things are too busy. And not now. Just got to finish this task. Just have to do this. Just want to relax for a little bit. Whatever it might be. Not now. Not now. Not now. Now, we do need to have down, down time, certainly. But I think if the predominant response is not now, not now, not now, what we build is space. We build space between us and the other person. And we might not want that space. And that space may ultimately um, damage the relationship. We have to be careful that we give of ourselves when we need to. And sometimes that's hard. But that's what love is all about. In Proverbs 3, the verse says, Do not say to your neighbour, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it. If we can do something for someone at the time, then we should. And not create space and distance and that sense of I'm not really interested in who you are or what your needs are at the moment. This next one is, is a different, uh, interesting kind of a one. Our two wise Muppets on the uh, TV screen um, said, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. 
But sometimes silence isn't the best thing. I'll tell you what I mean. If we don't respond, if we don't comment, if we don't teach, if we don't talk, if we don't instruct, if we don't share what's happening in our lives, what we're building is confusion. Because those who we love don't know what to do when they come to certain problems and tasks. If I haven't spoken into my children's lives about trusting in the Lord, showing them through my own example that prayer is important, that God is reliable, then when they come to difficult times, there's confusion. I've built an open door to all kinds of alternatives that mightn't be wise. So we can't remain silent when it comes to the things of faith, things that we really believe about. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9, I want to point out that we're starting at verse 6 because shortly we're going to go back and look at verse 5. We're starting at verse 6 here. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And press them on your children. Talk about them. Don't be silent. Silence builds confusion. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I love those verses. It's saying immerse your family, your life, your home in the commands of God. Talk about them. Type up some key verses. Stick them on the toilet wall. Stick them on the fridge. Stick them wherever you're going to see them. Discuss them at the dinner table. Pray as you're driving along in the car. But constantly... Talk with those you love about the word of God and his commands. As I was reading this verse, I thought, I wonder what the word Deuteronomy means. It's a book of the Bible, but what does it actually mean? And I thought I'd find out that, the answer to that question. It comes from two words in the Greek language, deutero, or I suppose in Latin it might be deutero. I don't really know. (laughs) It comes from those two words, deutero, which means second, and nomos, which means law. So it means the second law. Now, it doesn't mean that God gave the Israelites another law. This is the second one. I've given you the first one, Mount Sinai, Moses, Ten Commandments, some years back. You've got all of that. Now, I'll give you a brand new one. This is the second one. What it means is this is the second retelling of that first law. We're revising it. We're having a little quiz. We're going over it again to make sure you really know. Now, chronologically, the book of Deuteronomy um, records events at the end of time in the wilderness just before the Israelites are about to go into the promised land. And there had been about 40 years in that time. And during that time, the adults who had left Egypt, um, who had disobeyed and disbelieved God and sinned so badly, 
God said they wouldn't enter into the promised land. Most of those people had died. And so there was a second generation of Israelites who were about to enter into the promised land. And so the book of Deuteronomy is the second law. You make sure that you go over things again for a second time with this new group of people. They have to know what it's all about. They have to know what it's all about. And this really challenged me. We can't assume that just because we've gone through something once, discussed something once, read something once, that it will always be in the hearts and minds of those we love. It's important to revisit it again, the second law, and perhaps even third or fourth and keep going over things. And that challenged me. My kids are in their 20s and... uh, Does that mean that my duty as a dad in terms of sowing into their lives and their faith is complete? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I have to make sure I find opportunities to revisit it and to keep speaking it into their lives. There's a little grandson in the family now as well. As a grandfather, what's my role in speaking into his life when he's old enough to hear? That second law. And another significant point was that this was given at a key time, the Israelites were about to go into the promised land. And that spoke to me. When, when are there key events in my kids' lives? Do I have a chance to speak God into those moments? When they got to the point of finishing school and were about to enter the workforce or university or move away or get married or become parents themselves, these key points... Have I found time to speak God's word into their lives? It's a real challenge, I think. And uh, that's something I think we should take on board, that we can continue to speak into the lives of children and people we love at whatever stage of life they're at and not be silent and create that confusion. And what were some of the key things that were being revised? Verse 5. Of that same chapter, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's what was the key thing that was being revised, that the, the people of Israel, of Israel are being reminded about. So let's never be silent and build confusion when it comes to these really important matters. The other reason I chose this picture was because it forms a cross, doesn't it? And that stood out to me as well. Because I can't be a good dad, we can't have healthy relationships, we can't build into people's lives, we can't honour them without relying on Jesus. I recently heard a story about two property owners out in central Australia, big cattle properties, And one of the property owners spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on fences, establishing them, mending them, checking them in order to keep the cattle on his very vast property. Another property owner didn't. Instead, he made sure he had water supplies where the cattle could come and access it. And they would come to where this water was. 
and they would drink and they'd wander away to feed through the day but come back because there was water and shade and he didn't need to worry about fencing. And I pass that story on because raising children, working on relationships is not about fencing people in. It's not about a whole lot of things that we have to do to make sure that you will. It's about people seeing our heart and being drawn to one another just as that water, which is a source of life, draws the cattle to that place. But ultimately, we need to find the heart of God in our relationships. And a relationship with God is not about being fenced in either. It's not about having to do these things. It's about us coming to that source of life, that life-giving water, knowing God's love for us, desiring to be with him, letting him fill us so that we can fill other people. Let us make sure that there's nothing unwholesome coming out of our mouths, that what we say is only to build each other up according to their needs and for the benefits of those who listen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you on Father's Day for the gift of fatherhood. But more than that, for the gift of relationships. Thank you that you've created us to live in union with other people. Lord, I thank you for the blessings that that gives and also for the challenges. And may we see you as our source of love, our source of life, so that we can pass that on to others.